Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here this morning. And again, we welcome those who are joining us on Zoom. Welcome visitors this morning. It's good to have you with us. And those who have come back from, uh, well, times of surgery and so on, it's great to have you with us to worship together. We're glad to have Kirk Sinclair with us this morning to give the message uh, and we'll ask him to come now and read the scripture and lead us in prayer, if you would, please, Kurt. Good morning, everybody. Can everybody hear me? That's good. I have a list of two demands. The first is, can everybody hear me? And then the second is, can everybody understand me? So we'll pray about the second one a little bit later. All right. If you have your Bible with you, and I trust that you do, please turn with me to Psalm 51. Our theme is concerning David and his confession this morning. So we will read most of Psalm 51, starting with verse 1. Psalm 51, 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And the main verse here, verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And we find here these carefully chosen words crafted by David, according to uh, uh, the man who had a heart after the Lord's own heart. And I trust that through the course of today's message that, that we will see the wisdom and learn from the wisdom of David in, uh, in Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance, the man after God's own heart. Let's uh, unite our hearts together and we'll uh, submit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come again uh, with the utmost joy to be found where we belong in the community of believers here 
at Berean. We acknowledge you as our God. We marvel at your great atoning love for your people. We marvel that you provided salvation for us with the life of your only begotten Son. And Lord, we cherish and treasure those things above anything, even our own lives. We rejoice that you watch out for us and that all things work together for good for those who are trusting in you. Father, we marvel at who you are. We don't understand the depth of your knowledge and the wisdom that you have in your providential control of all things. But we know and have assurances that you love and you bless your people. And so take charge of this service this morning, Lord. Help us to, to learn under your word. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister uh, um, knowledge to us and that we would grow in grace. And so for all of these things, Lord, we, we remember you and we express our joy as we, uh, as we sing songs of praise to you. We pray, Lord, for the word that will be proclaimed from pulpits all across our country, for those who attend upon the services. And even now, Lord, in our midst, I pray for those who may not know you that are found here, coming with a friend or family. And Lord, that even today, by the mysterious working of your Holy Spirit, might there be a salvation in our midst. We pray for this, Lord. We pray for you to impact our hearts with the message that is proclaimed today. And so as we sing, Lord, as we praise you, and as we give thanks, Lord, as we study your word in all these things, Lord, might it redound to your honor, your praise and glory in our midst. For Jesus' sake, amen. We've been praying for the safe arrival of that family, and we rejoice together with you, brother and sister. As I said, we're glad to have Kirk Sinclair with us this morning. And Kirk, may the Lord bless as you open the word to us, brother. Thank you. Psalm 51. Most of our message is encapsulated in the fourth verse of Psalm 51. And we're going we're gonna to see that we're going to take the passage in some very small slices to open this up. But the life of David is fascinating. David was a sinner. He was a, a murderer and an adulterer, yet he was a man after God's own heart. And so for that reason, we need to look carefully at the life of this man, this psalmist, whose, uh, whose praises teach us how to worship God and whose, whose trials uh, help us to, to uh, hang on to God in faith. Uh, we learn many, many lessons from uh, from David. And so I trust that this morning will be a blessing to you as we look at uh, David's confession. Let's uh let's again come to the Lord and we'll ask him to to bless and uh to to teach us. Let's let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we open your word again and uh as we look to David and and we see this example of his confession, we we find that we uh, can learn much. And we ask, Father, that you minister to us a knowledge of, of the offensiveness of sin, to recognize it as sin and to understand that all sin offends you and that you must judge it. 
And so bless us, Lord, with uh, the recognition of these things as, as David has blessed us with the particular wording of this verse 4. And so to each one of us, Lord, we, we pray that you would impact our hearts, and especially for those, Lord, that may be in our midst this morning that don't know you. We pray that you suit a particular blessing to you, that life-giving blessing of eternal life from, from the once dead, and Lord, we, we, uh, many of us have that testimony this morning. And we pray, Lord, that we may add others to it. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would be uh, exalted and glorified. And by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, we would grow in grace and understanding. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've already read the psalm and we'll be revisiting that. And uh, many other passages as we look at this. I already said that David was a man after God's own heart. And he reveals this to us in everything that he does. That, that his total life is a witness to, to him being a man after God's own heart. Except that he fell into serious sin. And we read about that in Second Samuel. And his life and his household became complicated from that point onward. We could see that God's chastening hand was heavy upon him. Now, God's word is clear. This is, we're looking at David, a man after God's own heart, yet a man who had fallen into serious sin. And we recognize that as human beings, that we're all in the same boat. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you look close enough at the word all, you'll see your name there too. (laughs) So we're all in this together. We're all in need of a savior. But God has provided. And David knew that God had provided a salvation. And when he confessed his sin, he was confident that God had taken care of that sin and removed the guilt from him. David trusted in God. He knew that God provided salvation for all who have faith. Who have faith. And David, having faith, went to the Lord and confessed his sin. And on confession of a sin, his relationship with God was restored again. We could look at a few other psalms that talk about confession and restoration, but that's, we'll save that one for another day. But David trusted in God, and we, we, we read about that already. And, and when David confronted uh, his sin, he uh, was confronted by his sin, and we'll, we'll have a look at that in Second Samuel. Uh, he responded righteously when he was confronted about his sin. Uh, you're getting the you're getting the Reader's Digest condensed version this morning, so I'm just going to, to read you the verse where Nathan confronts Samuel, and maybe we can fill that in a bit later as time permits. So David said to Nathan, David had just told uh, Nathan had just told David a parable about a man who mistreated a poor man by taking his only his only little lamb. So David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And Nathan said to David, "The Lord." Uh, I have sinned. So David said to Nathan after Nathan approached him, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's his confession. That's his acknowledgement. And then Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. God has forgiven sin. Let me remind all of us today, myself included, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his promise. First John 1 John 1.9. That's his promise to us. 
Now, David's confession pleased God because David humbled himself. And God looks at the heart. David was genuinely sorry for his sin. He had offended God. And as part of his perfect confession, David called God blameless and just in his judgment of sin. He said to God, I know you're going to judge me for your sin, but I deserve it. I did it. I'm guilty. God is never to be criticized for denouncing or bringing judgment on sin. It's not a crime to punish crime. On the contrary, God shows his loving kindness and his tender mercies to those who are trusting in him. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And our focus today is is really not about David's confession. If it was, we've got a perfect passage for that too. But what we're going to learn today from David has to deal with sin. We're going to learn about sin. David's confession teaches us about sin and how God deals with sin. And and I'll put up our our categories here. Where there are five things that we can learn about sin, and we're using alliteration here, and I hope that it has some, by some means will carry carry this through here. Uh, this message today was brought to us by the letter C. The character of sin, think of the quote, against you only. The condemnation of sin, I sinned. The confession of sin, again, I sinned. The the cognizance or recognition of sin in your sight. And the clearing or forgiveness of sin or the atonement. Blameless when you judge. Blameless when you judge. Character, condemnation, confession, cognizance and clearing. The character of sin. So we're going to look at these things and we're going to extract from that, mostly from that fourth verse, uh, what's being communicated about sin here. The character of sin or the root of sin is what we're going to look at first. Verse 4 opens with, against you, you only have I sinned, you being God. David hates that he offended God. He offended God with his sin. David cares about the heart of God. He loves God. He doesn't want to offend God. He can't talk to God when he knows that God is, that he's offended God. He has to have his relationship restored. And that's what confession does. But one thing that will impact us here, and one thing that is the root of sin that we must understand, first off, is that all sin is against God, whose law has been broken. God is, he's the lawmaker. He's the one who has given us the ten words, the ten laws. And each of the ten laws give us specific details about the nature of God himself. God wants us to to obey the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments describe who he is. We were created to be like him. But some sins, we realize, are also against men. But when David said only, the word here only means sin is against God first and foremost. Do you remember the two tables of the law? We have the first four commandments are, is the first table of the law and the last six are, is the second table of the law. And the first table of the law deals with offenses to God. So it's a vertical relationship. The second table of the law is the horizontal relationship is when we offend each other. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, 
are things that are, affect other men. But all sin, first table or second table, is against God. First and foremost, all sin is against God. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery and, and by God's uh, providential hand, it turned out to be a good thing. We talked about that last week. Joseph, a slave in Egypt, he's in the household of, Par- of Potiphar, alone with Potiphar's wife. He resisted the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife. And Genesis 39, 9 tells us that, that, uh, that Jacob said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And sin against God. And so where most of us would be thinking about a different thing, uh, Joseph is thinking about God. He's thinking about sin. And he recognizes that all sin is against God. But there's something else as well. It's that if we sin and people know that we're Christians and we sin and people see it, then further damage can occur because the enemies of God have an opportunity to blaspheme. And what that means is that the people see us as we have our interactions in society. We have our discussions. People watch the decisions that we make. They watch how we handle things. They watch and see if we're cool under pressure. And they take mental notes. But you can rest assured that if, a Christ, if someone knows that you're a Christian and they see you stumbling, then that gives them license to, uh, to follow in your footsteps. As bad as an example as you're setting there. So when we sin, we risk being a bad example that causes others to blaspheme. And so it's very, very important that we walk uprightly. We speak and act and behave in ways that we know God is pleased with because all of our actions and our words are seen and heard by others, right? All right. Now in David's case, Bathsheba was disgraced. Uriah died unjustly. And we'll talk specifically about the sins and the child from their union also died, but the sin was against God. The sin and the offense was against God and it was to God that David brought his, his confession. Character of sin, the condemnation of sin. I sinned is the quote. Now what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna take a look at uh, this in, in the same sort of style that, that an old commentary would do. We'd take the individual parts of, of the, the verse, in this case, verse 4. So the quote was against you and you only have I sinned. Now we're looking at the quote, I sinned. David said, I sinned, and he said it to God. David condemns his sin. He labels it as, as uh, something worthy of, of condemnation. Now, indeed, David, uh, he was a murderer and an adulterer. And, and these things uh, he was involved in he, uh, when he was, it was the spring and he should have been going out with the army, he fell into sin. So let's look at a few passages that, that briefly describe David's sin. I don't want to consume all of our time today talking about it, but we'll look at 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. And we're just going to go through very briefly what, what David did. 2 Samuel 11, starting from verse 1. Just the first, first five verses, and then we're going to jump down to 14. 
It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Verse 4, Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Verse 5, And the woman conceived, so she sent to David and said, I am with child. Starting at verse 14, or just verse 14, I think I have here. Uh, I have a few, no, just the one verse. In the morning it happened, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Verse 15 as well. And he wrote in that letter saying, set Uriah in the the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. See, Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. David said to Joab, take Uriah and put him in the fiercest part of the battle and then withdraw. He, he, didn't, he didn't write a letter saying to Joab, see that Uriah the Hittite dies, but that's what he meant. And then finally, 2 Samuel 11, verse 21, uh, who's, and really the last part of, of the verse, the news that David wanted to hear, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So verse 21, David receives the news that Uriah, whom he had Joab deal with, has perished. And so we have sin. And we have, the, we, have, uh, we have a child born from this union. And the child died. If you've read the passage before, you'll be familiar with that. Now we've got a problem in our society today. And that problem is that we don't identify sin. Society rarely condemns the actions of different people as sin. Sin doesn't seem to even really be in, in, our, uh, in our language anymore. People don't speak and, and interact in, in terms of sin anymore. In fact, we, uh, we're steeped in sin. And... I just, I just picked uh, abortion as an example of the rampant immorality in this country because of the, the pervasiveness of it and the universality of it. The immorality of our times can be seen by all the abortions that take place in Canada and all around, all around the world. Abortion is murder of the unborn. And murder is serious. And why is murder serious? Because man was made in the image of God. We were given the faculties of reasoning and understanding. We, we have volition. We can make decisions. We're not bound. We're, we have freedom of choice as well. Man was made in the image of God. And only God has the right to give and to take away life. And these sins in our society are symptoms of a world that has no fear of God. Without the fear of God, where are we as a society? 
What authority do we have as a society? I fear for the, for the world because I know what scripture tells us will happen to the reprobate. God's judgment is hanging over our heads. The only remedy is Christ for those who are trusting in God. A condemnation of sin. Character of sin, the condemnation, and now the confession of sin. And so the quote last time was, I sinned with the emphasis on sinned. Now the quote is, I sinned with the emphasis on I. Now David is putting himself in the crosshairs. He's owning up to the fact that he sinned. He immediately takes responsibility for his sin. He he said it to Nathan when he was confronted with his sin. Now he says it to God. He says it directly to the one that he offended. He didn't try to excuse his sin. He didn't try to deny his sin. He didn't try to be evasive or make uh, uh, excuses or, or rationalize it away. When a person realizes they are a sinner and they call upon the Lord in faith, they become a child of God. They confess their sin and they come to faith and the Lord makes a change in the person and they they emerge different. Scripture tells us that we're a different creature. No wonder they, in in John chapter 9, when the blind man, the man who was born blind, uh, was, was healed and they had the discussion about, is that the blind man? No, that's, yes. They couldn't recognize him. And, and really that helps to kind of under, undergird the idea that we're different creatures when, we're, when we've been changed and when we've been, uh, when we've been uh, saved. We already looked at Romans 3.23 and we know that we're all riding in that same boat as sinners. We all need salvation. And... Um, Some have partaken in God's solution for that. We have an advocate to defend us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The sins of God's children have been pardoned by the cross. And that's what I'll say. How do you become a child of God? You confess your sin to God and you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for me. He died for me. Now, once we're pardoned by the cross, accordingly, God commands his children to confess their sin. And in confession, we agree with God that we've sinned. But we also agree that it's right for him to punish us under the law, that it's just for him to punish us. But it's not punishment, it's chastisement, a little bit of a different thing if we're splitting hairs. But God responds to the humble confession of his people with compassion. He looks for humility. He looks for contrition. He looks for sincerity. Psalm Psalm 53, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This is the gentle response of a loving God. God will not quench a smoking, uh, uh, a bruised reed or a smoking flax. He responds to us in our, the delicate frame that we're in 
All we need to do is acknowledge our sin to him. And he responds. David owned his sin. He confessed his sin. I sin. Cognizance or recognition. The cognizance of sin in your sight. In your sight. God sees everything. And we see that David tried to hide his sin from God. But we see that Uriah was a righteous man who would not comply. David was frustrated by this because David could not hide his sin. Uriah was unaware of David's plan, unaware of the sin that had already been taken place. David was looking to make the problem go away. But when we consider there really is nothing that we do that escapes God's notice. In fact, God knows all our words even before we speak them. And so it's a fool's errand to try to fool God. Let's turn to Psalm 139. I think that this is, this is a worthwhile exercise for us. Because if anyone thinks he can hide from God... I won't uncover that blank until we've read it. But let's, let's look at Psalm 139, and we'll read through the first 17 verses. And just remember that if you're thinking that you can hide from God, come back to verse 39 and remember what it says, starting from verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me in or hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet. There was none of them that came to be foolish. If you think you can hide from God, read Psalm 139. I had to Google it, but you've probably heard the uh, the expression, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time You know how it goes, but you cannot fool 
all the people, all of the time. That's Abraham Lincoln, apparently. I'm just going to add another line, but you can't fool God at all. It's as if God is standing right beside you every moment of your life. Just a minute now. If he loves us and he saved us, then it's a good thing to have him beside us. Going through all our struggles, he never leaves our side. If you're a child of God. All right. Character, condemnation, confession, cognizance. Seventh inning stretch. And now we're into the clearing of sin. Blameless when you judge. Indeed, we, when we confess sin, we agree with God that we've sinned. And not only that, that God is just in condemning us and blameless when he judges. It's God's right to judge sin as evil and to condemn it. He is our lawmaker. He has given us the rules that we are to live by. God's, God's word in its entirety is our rule of faith in life. It's our handbook for living in this world. God's right to judge sin as evil and condemn, and condemn it. When we're at the hockey game and our favorite player gets tripped and the other player gets a two-minute penalty, well, everyone accepts it because that goes along with hockey rule books, you know, even if we're cheering for the other team, right? And hockey rules are there to make sure that everything is done fairly and in an acceptable manner so no one takes their puck and go home, you know, from that. When we're on the highway and we drive over the speed limit and the flashing lights are in our rearview mirror and we get pulled over, we might not like it, but we've got to accept it because we live in Canada and in Ontario and they have rules and laws are made for the benefit of society. And so we understand that and we accept it. Now, God is our creator and our lawmaker. He has given us life. He's made everything that we can see in this world. So we have that reminder all, all around us. He made the laws and he has the right to enforce them. And God doesn't have to labor to build a case against you and I about our own sin because our own actions serve to condemn us. And so God doesn't have to search to find our sin. You know, all of the discussion of, of uh, uh, Psalm 139 talked about God searching the hearts and knowing the deep things in us. But it's not the deep things that will condemn us. It's the things that are done typically every day. Remember that God loves us. He created us in his image. He desires to bless. He wants people to come to him to trust the claims of Christ as given in Scripture and to trust that Jesus died for their sin. He's, he's told us in Scripture very plainly that he has accepted the life of his son in our place. All we need to do is to accept that. So the clearing of sin talks about, about uh, God being just when he judges. We deserve the sin when we break his laws. And yet we find out that the death 
of the wicked does not please God. God doesn't want to send people to a lost eternity. Ezekiel 33:11 Say to them as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Why should you die, Sudbury? Why should you die, Canada? God wants to save men, and he's delayed his return so men can respond to the life-saving gospel. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us. Why? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Come to repentance. Confess their sin. Trust in the work of Christ. God has done it all. It's all been completely done for us. Do you know that it pleased God to put Jesus to death? Why? Why would that be? You may think, how could God do that to his son? Well, He did it so that he could forgive you and I. His son had to die. He had to come to earth and take on human flesh. And he had to walk in our shoes, subject to the same law that you and I are. He had to persevere without sin, and he did that. The only man that ever did. God sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. But Jesus was on board too. He died for the joy of forgiving you and I. He wanted to do it. Hebrews 12, 2 says, and we looked at it in the the, the adult class, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what that means? When he sat down, that means it's done. The work is done. It's finished. There's nothing left to do. It's all been done. We simply need to trust in him. We need to believe the gospel message that Jesus actually came and actually went to the cross to die for us. That's what we need to do. And if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, Scripture outlines it very simply. It describes in very simple terms what God did for us. And I say us, but for all who will believe. Because if you believe, then you're included in that community of believers who when they die, they they leave this world and they go to be present with God in heaven. Why will you die, Sudbury? Why will you die? And so... Romans 10, 9 and 10, we've already, we've already talked about that. The confession of Christ is, is what marks a person to receive the blessing of being a child of God. Confess, believe, and live, and partake of those blessings. Remember Peter, when Peter pushed Christ away, 
when when Christ was trying to wash Peter's feet, and he said uh, he said to Peter, "If you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me." And so let us partake of the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ by believing and trusting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have seen and been reminded of the great saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we believe the claims of Christ that he took on human flesh and dwelt among men for 33 years. And during that time, he was perfectly sinless. And the book of Romans tells us that that by faith, we put on the very righteousness of Christ and that you are satisfied with his sacrifice. And we thank you, Lord, that he was risen from the dead. And that's way of your, your way of telling us that that sacrifice was acceptable and that now we have no longer to, to fear. Indeed, you are our advocate and that all things that are done are, are for our good, according to, to Scripture. And so our hope and our trust and our joy and comfort consists of the fact that we belong to you and we are in Christ. Our hearts rejoice. And Father, let us remind each other of the blessings of knowing you. Let us celebrate our victories knowing that that the evil one will be put away forever, never to bother, never to accuse again. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.